Almighty God, this day may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, shaking us to new life in you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Now, I got to ask as we pray that prayer today, are you sure you really want to pray that prayer? Are you sure you want to pray for God to shake us to new life? Do we even begin to fathom what we've just prayed or what the potential implications of that prayer may be? It is powerful but also scary to offer the prayer that we just did. At the very least, it is not a prayer that should be offered up in a cavalier way. In all honesty, there was part of me as we were going through that prayer just now that I wanted to yell stop right in the middle of it or right after that part about shaking us to new life, but I thought better of it. I didn't want anyone else to have a heart attack or anything like that. But really, I think it's important to stop and really think about what does it mean to pray for our lives to be shaken up by God? Because having our lives shaken up by God is no small thing. Just ask Saul, uh, or I could also say Paul, because that's what he'll eventually become to be known as. Look at the scripture encounter here today that we see going on. I mean, talk about a shakeup. Saul could have hardly fathomed a more significant disruption to his life. After all, Saul was not your casual individual who disliked Christians. Oh, no, no, he was much more than that. He was an entrenched enemy of Christians. It was a way of life for him to persecute Christians. Listen again what we hear in Scripture, Acts chapter 9, verses 1 and 2. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, that is, the Christian way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. So did you hear it? Saul is still breathing out murderous threats. He is still pursuing Christians. He is actively seeking to persecute them. Just how intent was Saul on tracking down these Christians to persecute them? He was so intent, he goes to the high priest, he gets official letters so that if he goes to the synagogues and he finds anyone there who belongs to Christianity, right then and there he might haul them off to jail and to prison. I think it is safe to say that Saul lived to make the lives of Christians miserable. So we cannot fathom a more significant disruption or shakeup than what we encounter here for Saul than in his encounter with the living God. Throughout this entire summer, we've engaged in a host of different encounters between Jesus and lots of other individuals. And in every single one of those encounters, the individuals that we encounter experience life differently after Jesus than they did before. Each of them had their lives shaken up in some significant way. And while often the shaking produced something good, it also meant that life was different after Jesus than it was before. It meant that some form of change was involved. And we know how we all feel about change. We have a love-hate relationship with change. Remember the nameless woman at the well? When she encountered the living God, it meant that she was seen and valued, and Jesus knew her name, and she was loved. 
but it also meant that she became a much more public figure. And she went back to her village and she started telling others about Jesus. No doubt some received her news well, but you can bet there would have been a group of people who reminded her of her past, who told her to be quiet, who asked her, who do you think you are to share the good news of Jesus? which would not have been the easiest thing. So change that happened, it was good, yes, but the change wasn't easy. Or think about blind Bartimaeus. He received his sight after his encounter with Jesus. That is a wonderful change. His life was forever changed and altered in many good ways. He could see. And yet, Mark, the Gospel of Mark, tells us that in this encounter with Bartimaeus, that in the end, he ended up following Jesus. Well, you know what happens when you follow Jesus. It's wonderful and it's hard. You see God moving and you encounter God in new ways and you go out and you seek to serve in obedience. You can bet that as Bartimaeus went out to do that, there were others who began to doubt his story or question his credibility or gave him a hard time for seeking to be a faithful follower of Jesus Christ. Because that's so often the nature of human beings. So for Bartimaeus, there was change and there was good change, but there's also change that would have been hard and difficult. Change can be good, but not easy. Surely Bartimaeus had a better life, but not necessarily an easier life. So every week when we gather together and we dive into God's word and we pray, God, shake us to new life, be careful because it's a dramatic prayer to offer because it means it's an invitation to change. And when we encounter the living God, we never know what form of shaking of change will occur. So Saul, who in Acts chapter 13, verse 9, is also called Paul, shows us today just how dramatic the change can be. We know that change is hard for us. It does not come naturally to us. And yet part of the essence of being a Jesus follower is change. The goal is to more and more resemble Christ as Lord and Savior. We hope to better reflect Jesus in every way and to reflect him more today than we did yesterday. That's change. The way we name it in our vision here at First Church is transformation in Christ. We pray that we will get to know Jesus better, follow Jesus better, reflect Jesus better today than we did yesterday, hopefully more tomorrow than we do today. And all of that requires change at its essence. It requires having our lives shaken up from our normal status quo. If I were to ask you today, what is the single biggest threat facing the church today? not just our local church, but the church in general, what would you say to that? There are a whole host of elements that we could lift up that threaten the church today. We could talk about growing evil in our world. We could talk about a growing secular culture and its influence in our world. We could talk about general apathy for those in the church. And no doubt, all of those are a threat to the vitality and health of any church. But I wonder if the single greatest threat to the church just might be its aversion to change. There are some among us who like change, who like adventure, who like new, at least if they get to be in charge of the change that's about to come about. But who among us likes to have change actually imposed upon them? Probably none of us. So let's be honest with ourselves. For most of us, change is one of our least 
favorite things, at least imposed change. Most of us prefer routine, order, lack of chaos. We're often this way in our personal lives. We discover our favorite restaurants, and so we go back to them again and again. We discover our favorite hairstylists, our favorite laundry detergents, our favorite style, our favorite cereal, our favorite drinks, our favorite destinations, and we stick to those. I've seen on Facebook from lots of you, especially coming out of the summer, you've said something like, we celebrate this week, it's our favorite week. Why? It's our annual trip to so-and-so. It's my home away from home. It's my happy place. Some place that you've gone to again and again and again. It's the lack of change that's part of what you love about those places and experiences. Many of us begin our days the same way and end our days the same way. If you want to mess with somebody, you just change that morning routine of theirs. You just go ahead and take away that coffee they're about to drink and you do so at your own risk because you know you are potentially unleashing a monster through that change of taking away the coffee. Maybe this is partly where the saying they got out of the bed on the wrong side, uh, they got out of the wrong side of the bed this morning and then having a bad day uh, came from. I personally like to think that I like change and I do to some degree. But when I really step back and look at my own life, I discover how much I like routines as well. I eat the exact same thing every single Sunday morning before I preach. Every single week. I like milk every single time I have dessert. Every single time. Almost every week, I either run or lift at the same time in my week as it falls into my rhythm and routine. And what's worse, I do not respond well when something outside of my control or planning imposes change on me from the normal routine I live into. It's well known in our household, do not spring something up on me at the last moment that's going to change the rest of my day. Almost always, I am happy to help out in almost any regard as long as you tell me ahead of time and as long as I can properly plan and prepare for it. But please do not let me get up thinking I'm going to tackle the four things I had planned in my mind to do that day and then have to scrap it all because I will now be doing a different project that you are now asking me to do where I have to change everything that I was planning for that particular day. Jen and I have had some of our most intense and frustrating moments with one another when she has unexpectedly asked me to do something on a day that I had already planned in my mind to do a number of other things. And let me be really clear, she has every right to do that. In fact, she should do that. I, as her husband, want to be there to support her. So if she asks me to do something, I should be more than willing to do it. And yet, on some of those occasions, I've gotten so upset. I mean, frankly, I've been a jerk at times in those situations, and I realize how immature it makes me sound just to say, wait a minute, you were asked to do something that slightly changed your day and your routine and you became a jerk? Unfortunately, yes. Why? Because change is hard. It's hard for me, it's hard for us to have the things that we are planning on, counting on, living into a routine with. When that is changed from what we expected, that is hard. And it's oftentimes not much different in our faith journey as well. So we plan our personal devotional time probably about the same time every day. We worship at the same time every week. We have a particular worship style that we want to engage in every week. We like a certain kind of music in our worship. 
I doubt that today for all of us listening and sharing in this time that we would want rap music every single week as all part of our worship or all elevator music as part of our worship. We like the same location and the same format and the same personnel. And to be clear, I'm not saying that consistency is a bad thing. It is not. Routines are not a bad thing. Doing devotions on a regular basis, spending regular time with God, developing good, consistent, holy habits, they're all important for our faith. But when our unwillingness to change comes at the expense of following Jesus, then we do have a problem. And the crucial question becomes, is our routine fostering our relationship with Jesus or getting in the way of growth in our relationship with Jesus. A while back, a friend of mine posted this meme on Facebook, and I just think it rings so true. Uh, the meme said this, most new pastors think they're gonna change the world. Then they almost get fired for changing the bulletin, or perhaps a lack of a bulletin, or a different carpet color, or a different wall color, or a different worship time, or changing the preaching style, or changing the staffing structure, or changing you fill in the blank. We like what we like, and we like to stick with it, and so often we don't like change. All of this begins to make me wonder if the bigger miracle today in Saul's conversion isn't so much that Jesus showed up because the kind of God that we serve, that we should become to expect that this Jesus, this God surprises us in different ways, but rather it's almost amazing that in the end, Saul did change. We clearly serve a God who's okay with change and surprises and shaking things up. In fact, again, we should come to expect it with this God. Any God who speaks forth from a burning bush, any God who bursts out of the grave after three days is exactly the kind of God who would show up to a religious persecutor and murder and out of the blue say, change, follow me. Hopefully we've learned enough about this God that we get it, that this is a God who shows up and changes things and shakes things up. So I get that God changes or fosters change. But what might be harder for us to get our minds around is the fact that for some people, like Saul, to actually change and live into that continued change, that's almost the harder thing to get our minds around. All right, God, I get that you change, but do people really change? Can people really change and live into it over the long haul? Because let's face it, God, it is hard to teach old dogs new tricks. And yet deep in our hearts, there's a resonating in our heart with this encounter between Jesus and Saul. There is something within us that relates to this one who is knocked down, blinded, and then given new purpose and direction in life, and that he is in fact changed. Suddenly, we hear in these words, Acts 9, verses 3 to 6, As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground, and he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. When we hear these words, we realize that in Jesus Change is possible. And for some, this is the best news possible. Why? 
because this God shows up in unpredictable ways and shakes us into new life that we had not planned, whether we thought it was possible or not. And we begin to realize sometimes by the grace of God, this living and powerful God comes and blinds us in our own lives and shakes us and gives us a jolt in an unpredictable way so that we too can be changed. Sometimes this God unexpectedly shows up and surprises us, which should fill us with hope. Sometimes by the grace of God, we do change. We do become generous. We do learn to quit focusing just on ourselves. We do learn to realize that we are loved and valued and seen. We do learn to give and not just get and consume all the time. One of the church's biggest hurdles right now is an unwillingness to change, even as the world around us is changing at warp speed. And to be clear, I am not saying change the message of Jesus Christ. I am not saying about what it means to be faithful. I'm not saying change our focus and our devotion on Christ. But I am asking us, how willing are we to change our structures and our practices to better connect with people in their lives? How willing are we to invest in things like our online worship experience like this, or in our Acts Network? How willing are we to meet people on their turf rather than demanding they come onto ours? How willing are we to try something new, even at the risk of failure, to connect with somebody who's not yet responded to the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ? How willing are we to change for the sake of the gospel? In our own lives, how willing are we to change our practices or our mindsets or our desires or our comforts for the sake of the gospel? It's hard because change involves loss of what is comfortable to us. It involves moving into the unknown and a lack of guarantee of what we're moving into, wondering, will it work or not? Sometimes change is so hard for us, we will voluntarily put up with something unsatisfactory if it does not require change, rather than attempt to change and live into something different. That's how strong our desire for lack of change really is. On my worst days, I can easily fall into despair. I wonder, God, will the church ever really change? Or will I? Or will those people? God, will we ever have enough faith to really forgive those who have hurt us? God, will we ever really become generous or obedient? God, will we ever really consider your influence and your guiding in all of our life decisions and all of our choices and even our politics? God, will we learn to take time with you every day seriously? God, will we ever be able to be truly unified again? God, will systems of racism and injustice and sexism ever be overthrown and defeated? God, can we really change? And then we come upon Acts chapter 9 today, and we see this tremendous change in Saul. We see conversion, we see transformation, and we encounter hope. And here's what I love about this entire encounter. It comes as a gift. In Christ, change comes as a gift. And notice the change does not happen when Saul is looking for it. We're given no indication that Saul is desiring to encounter the living God in this way. All we know for sure is that Saul is looking for more Christians to persecute. 
So it's not Saul who's doing the seeking, it's this Jesus who's doing the seeking. This same Jesus who leaves the 99 to come after the one is the one who finds Saul this day. Now, it had to have been terrifying for Saul that day, an unexpected light, the blindness, a booming voice, being in the presence of Jesus in this way. Who wouldn't be a little or a lot intimidated? But then lo and behold, it worked. Saul changed, and he lives into becoming Paul. Persecution, Saul's own ego, lack of change, those things did not have the final say. And what we're reminded of then in Acts chapter 9 today is that the same God who surprised us by jumping out of the grave after three days is the same God who keeps showing up, keeps rising out of the grave, keeps springing from places of death to foster new life, which means we can have hope today because the same powerful God who raised Jesus from the dead just won't stop. He keeps searching. He keeps seeking us out, just like he did in the original encounters with the disciples, just like he did in this encounter with Saul, and just like he does in his encounters with us. And that should give us hope. In Christ, we can change. I was a bit surprised a few weeks ago and Doing some reading, I, I came across some interesting church statistics, and we've mentioned many times about how church in general is in decline, especially in the United States or the Western culture. There's nothing new there. But in this article, it covered nine major denominations, and for most of the denominations, it was just what I expected. Lots of decline. Over the 34 years from 1987 to 2021, five of the denominations listed had actually dropped by over 30% including the, the Evangelical Church of America, the United Church of Christ, the United Methodist Church, the Episcopal Church, and the Presbyterian Church USA. There was overall decline for seven of the nine denominations given. But to my surprise, there was not 100% decline. Two of the denominations given actually were experiencing an increase. That was the Assemblies of God and the Presbyterian Church of America. <laughs> Who would have guessed? Now, that's not to say that other non-denominational churches or churches not in the group were not growing in some capacity, but it was a reminder to me that this God can bring change, can bring new life, can bring growth, no matter the odds. It was a reminder to me, you just never know where this God will show up, shake things up, and bring change. I don't know where you and your life right now need some change. Maybe you once had a burning passion for Jesus that has dwindled to the smallest of sparks. Maybe the flame has gone out completely, and that's just what you've gotten used to. Thankfully, this God still shows up, shakes things up, and brings change. Maybe you've come to believe the idea that you're just not good enough, that you are of little or no worth. Maybe that's become your norm. Well, thankfully, this God still shows up, shakes things up, and brings change so that you can know that you are seen and valued and loved. Maybe you've actually come to believe you're better than everyone else, and your lack of humility has become your norm. Thankfully, this God still shows up, shakes things up, and brings humble change in your life. Maybe you've come to believe that this God does not move in your life or other people's lives very often, and that church can never be as God originally intended. That a loved one who's always rejected Jesus will continue to reject Jesus forever. 
or to think that there's only bad news in our world. Well, thankfully, this God, Jesus, still shows up, shaking things up, and brings about holy change. I love the way Barbara Brown Taylor shares an experience she had. She, she had the privilege of sitting on a seminary admissions committee. Turns out that they had to reject a particular student who was unqualified for the school because of academic reasons. However, the student wrote multiple times and pleaded to get in because he was in a Georgia state prison and said if the seminary would let him in, then the prison would let him out. So rather reluctantly, they decided, the committee, to let the student come and share his story. It turns out he had been a very confused teenager. He had foolishly picked up a gun, not loaded, but used it at a convenience store. Suddenly shots rang, an undercover police officer was in the store, and seeing the teenager pull the gun, the police officer had reached for his own gun and aimed at the teenager. The young man lifted up his shirt and showed the committee where the police officer's bullet had gone in and then out of him. And then the young man said, that was my burning bush. That was my Damascus road. And Taylor says, upon hearing this news, the committee hated to admit it, but they had read Acts chapter 9. And if God could change a murderer named Saul into the missionary Paul, then God could do that for this kid as well. So they admitted the unlikely applicant into seminary. Today, I could tell you how Danny B. changed from an alcoholic to the director of an after-school program that I used to be a part of. Today, I could tell you about Don, who had literally attended church for 30 years as a bump on a log, every day or every week coming into church and sitting there and falling asleep, especially during the sermon, until one day the Spirit of God woke him up to help lead the church into a new day. I could tell you about Chris, a multiple divorcee who God is now using in a stable marriage to change an entire city by improving the properties there. I could tell you of a current business owner who changed to realize that the better bottom line was not profit margin, but human investment. And today I could tell you about a kid named Matt, whose one-time biggest goal was to earn a lot of money on Wall Street but whose heart was changed to live into the wealth of God's kingdom rather than the wealth of a retirement portfolio. And I am so, so glad. In each instance, it all came as a gift. Sometimes we think change will never come, but, but sometimes by the sheer grace of God, somebody gets grabbed. Jesus jumps them unawares, God comes in and claims and calls just like he did in this encounter with Saul on the Damascus road. And if God will do that for somebody not even looking, imagine what God will do for those who have a heart and desire to be changed and transformed in the living God. Thanks be to the God who keeps coming and keeps surprising and keeps offering change and keeps defeating death and keeps offering hope even when it looks like there is none to be had and keeps shaking things up. We hope that this entire series has been an opportunity for you to encounter the living God in holy and powerful ways, that you've been encouraged and challenged as you've learned about these encounters with Jesus and so that you might encounter Christ yourself. And now may all of us encounter Jesus in a way that will change us, 
that will transform us in our own personal lives and in our church as a whole. So today, once again, as we close not only this sermon, but this entire series, would you join with me and in your own heart, we're going to pray once more the prayer we began the sermon with. Only this time, may we be fully aware of what we're really praying and being shaken up as we encounter the living God. Would you pray with me? Almighty God, this day, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, shaking us to new life. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer.